From Velocity Dance Center in Seattle, this is StanceCast, a production of Stance, Journal of Choreographic Culture. I'm Tyler P. Wardwell. According to Seattle-based creative tandem Zoe Schofield and Juniper Shuey, a performance is only 10% of the life of a work. Their company, Zoe Juniper, want audiences to experience that other 90%. So they've embarked on a new project. No one to witness or adjust, no one to drive the car. By the time you're listening to this podcast, Zoe Juniper have shown two chamber studies in places both unexpected, a private home in the Magnolia neighborhood, and familiar, Seattle's Fry Art Museum. Prior to the first study of No One to Witness, Stance editor Cineva Whitney recorded a conversation between Zoe and Brian Rogers, artistic director of The Chocolate Factory, a performing arts space in New York City. To start things off, Brian asked Zoe to talk about her current making process in relationship to the way she's made work in the past, in particular, A Crack in Everything, which premiered in 2011 at Jacob's Pillow. Zoe said that while making A Crack in Everything, she started started to to feel feel this sort of overwhelming pressure of like having to present and make something and that it better be really, really good and it better be exactly what I'm thinking and feeling right now. There's something about the linear trajectory or almost like this exponential trajectory of process into product right that i'm starting to feel just feels not what i want and Mm so i wanted to create almost like some roadblocks for myself and that process and (laughs) sort of a ridiculous analogy but i started to feel like the process of making work was almost like the big castle looming over the serfdom and this Mm -hmm. like no, you're in your rehearsal process, you're in your making process, like it's totally free, like don't edit yourself, but you right. see this looming thing of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have this finished product no, that I have to No, it's a huge problem. Make. It's a huge problem. The whole system, I mean, there's, I, mean I definitely feel the same way, although I, I think that I've been building strategies for myself to try to circumvent right. that but it's really difficult because everything is set up that way you're Mm -hmm. applying you're applying for grants that are always tied no one's no one never wants to give you a grant to just play around in the studio and and with no and you may never become a piece that's shown in the theater right no one's going to give you a grant to do that probably artists become smart about making strategic choices based on what they what the outcome is going to have to Mm -hmm. be which i think completely can get in the way of maybe some much more interesting left turn that you might have right. taken right. if you didn't know you had a gig on the boards and you had exactly. to fit a piece in this day. And, and, and right. It's not so loaded. You might make a piece that didn't belong on the boards, for example. Right. Like, I think that's actually something I think is is a really... Something that I experience in New York all the time because we mm-hmm. have... Maybe this is true here, too, but we have this really... There's, there's a collection of really different kinds of venues to perform in. Right. And, they're, and they have really distinct and different kinds of qualities... And I think it's really healthy when artists bounce around sometimes between them and make pieces that like they find the space that makes sense for the piece that they want to mm-hmm. make. But it's really hard to do that when you're caught into a cycle of planning two years in advance for what you're going to do and then also having to chase the money and think right. about career things and all of right. that. And I think right. it's really tricky. And production. and yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's like a, that's definitely a huge factor in, in this this idea and strategy mm-hmm. I think for us even on a sort of more stripped down level it was just really wanting to not 
get so linear. I don't know. Like yeah. I like just I like literally see this thing like this, right. you know, on, on a diagonal. And so, and wanting to say, well, what if you show? There's something about deflating the importance of the performance and the yeah. product. If you sort of say. Well, here's a product, actually, and here's a product of this thing, and here's a product. So along the way, we were creating, or we will be creating product, quote. And so that, and when we're done with this sort of, okay, so here's the performance and the installation that gets made out of this year and a half of doing these sort of chamber studies, is what yeah. we're calling them, then it's, you've seen parts of it, you've seen the making of it, and we've experienced parts of it, and we've yeah. experienced the making of it, too. Right. So that it's just not so, it has doesn't have an overinflated sense of importance mm -hmm. in sense. Because I think, I mean, on a little bit of a tangent, I've just been realizing recently, and it's no like genius revolution or revelation or anything, that as artists, like as performance artists, that we sort of train the audience to to look at our work as the product, as the the sort of most important thing and whereas in the sort of economy or the the life of the whole piece or you know whatever piece or work it's only like 10 percent or 11 percent mm -hmm. and that there's actually this huge world and right. life that's happening but that we're like don't look at that right that doesn't exist and then right. also it's like ta-da yeah yeah and yeah. then we complain about like why doesn't audiences get what it is right. to make a work or why don't they know about process or why are they so right. oriented or grants right. or funders but we need to start subverting that a little bit yeah or at least we as a i i feel like there's just some importance that needs to be placed mm -hmm. and sort of transparency around all of that. Right. I totally agree. I work maybe a little bit differently from you because I have my own space. Right. And so we sort of we sort of build a show and then make the show. Mm -hmm. So we construct the scenery and put all of the tech into the space and then mm -hmm. we make the show and I still find that I like the work more when I'm just showing it in progress to people mm -hmm. like that I've invited to watch it mm -hmm. and I find when I go to see other work by my friends I love seeing things in progress because there's like you still see all of the possibilities Mm -hmm. Like when they're still when you're floating in that place where you've made certain where you've made certain choices and there's a kind of a shape to the piece that mm -hmm. you're making, but you haven't closed all of the other doors right. to everything yet. And right. there's something about that kind of energy that I am really drawn to all the time. Yeah, and that, that and sense. and necessarily a lot of that gets sucked out when you're finishing right. something to premiere it. Like there's something like it feels like a closed a closed loop or something at the end that I find. So I find it really interesting that you're thinking of showing it but is but is this piece that you're making like do you think of it as done or is it going to have a different incarnation that's going to feel like it could the, well the bit like the big premiere of it someplace <laughs> are you going to have to make this into a like do you need to tour it is this like the next thing you're going to have to try to tour or is that something else well and i feel a little silly but like i am a super i love magic uh-huh <laughs> and i don't mean like magic tricks but sure. i mean like magic and life and sort of do you mean theater magic? No, I mean like literally like I sort of have a childlike wonder and awe of the uh, world and sort of okay. keep that 
fresh or whatever. And so I, you know, pay attention to sort of maybe serendipitous things or right. whatever. So yeah, that kind yeah. of magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do you keep that? So like if you're working and you notice something... That I try to make space, I try to let it keep happening. Right. You know, so like this thing, like we applied for the City Arts Festival and I was like, oh, I'll just redo this duet that I did with Raja, which was a totally different thing and piece. Zoe's talking about Raja Feather Kelly. He danced with Zoe Juniper in a crack in everything. Raja makes work with his conceptual company, The Feather Theory. The E in feather is the number three. And then he wasn't available, and then... Is that the barking like a dog? No, that's a, it's a different duet we made really quickly, actually. this So it was sort of the beginning of this idea of, like, just making things right. kind of quickly. And kind of, you know, honestly, I don't think anybody in my family is going to listen to this, so it's fine. But um, <laughs> <laughs> my sister... Famous last words. Right, exactly. My sister was, like, totally estranged from me for two years, and... Like, of her own choice or whatever. And so right after I was like, oh, I can't do this duet with Raja. What should I do? Uh, she called me. And it was, oh. like, her birthday. And she was like, I'm pregnant. Oh. And so we just sort of started talking again. And it sort of made me realize how much I had wanted this person in my life. Sure. And, and how sort of huge we... I don't know, like how much we were involved in each other's lives growing up. And that were these two people who lived in the exact same house and the exact same world and had universes apart experiences. And then it just so happened that this woman who I used to dance with or who used to dance for me sort of came back into my life and we started working together and her name is Kate and my sister's name is Kate. But anyway, so this thing kept coming up and I just felt like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And then the idea of it is like, all right. What worked from this study? Like, what right. what did I learn? What would I take from it? And right. then saying, we're doing this other study at the Fry Art Museum, and then another one later on, and then making the piece from the sort of idea of, like, the fat that rises to the top sure. of all of that. Yeah. So, sure, if somebody wants to tour this piece, sure. If somebody has another awesome house, that's great. Right. But it's really kind of the idea of just trying it. Right. But you're also making some other big piece to tour, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're not able, you're not feeling like you're able to completely abandon that kind of mode of operation. I don't know right? if it has to be a big piece. I like touring. I like I like showing my work around. I like doing that. I would love to be able to... Maybe I'm asking for a different reason. Do right. you need, like, to, is touring how you survive? Like, yeah. do you need, So you need... So, like, you have to think about making a piece that could tour. So maybe... Mm-hmm. Totally. So, so I also you... like that way of thinking, though, too. Like, that's also kind sure. of interesting to me, is to be in both worlds. Yeah. And, like, how you were talking about not closing the door right. on the piece and, like, on possibilities. I feel the same way of not closing the door on ways in which I would work. Right, right, right. You know? No, of course. Yeah, they're, set, they're different things. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. But no, I think but people the, put themselves in that position. Well, right, because that's, it's one of the few ways that artists working in our disciplines can possibly make any money. Right, right, right. Is to do that. And I think it can be a real, um, it can be a real trap in a way. Mm-hmm. Because also if you get, I mean, I don't know, there are a few artists I know in New York who have become really successful as touring artists and it's mm-hmm. um, and I've watched them struggle with the expectation of that because then the people want the same thing or they want something that's like just only slightly different from right. the thing that they got before. Right. 
not that interested in um, directing like the spectator's experience of my work, and and I do that in a, mm-hmm. in a particular not and so, but to do that, but I'm also a control freak, so it's not about because <laughs> I because there are people like for, like there's an example of like the Keith Hennessy show that I right. think came here, yeah, where it is you just saw like, it in New York, I saw it in New York. Uh-huh. And at least in New York, it was like, well, here's all of this stuff, and you just have to decide what what of this is going to like be your experience of mm-hmm. this work. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm making this really tightly constructed thing, but mm-hmm. I'm building space in like the structure of it for people's minds, hopefully, to wander. Right. Or and and I'm and I'm trying to like I'm trying to constantly whenever we get to a place where it seems like we're creating meaning, we always have to step back and be like, no, get rid of that, get rid of that. And I and this and that's just my particular interest. Like I like yeah, going totally. to the theater and being completely directed in my attention right. too. Like that's something that I can really get into. Right. But I've um but I'm interested in a different kind of experience of time. I'm really like to get bored. And there's a certain <laughs> there's a certain kind of um different a different kind of attention that you bring to things when you're I mean, it's sort of like when you're drunk or, or, mm-hmm. if, you're, or if you're like chemically altered in some way. Right. There's a different kind of focus that you can bring to things. It's, it's simultaneously more intense, but also you're like sort of out of it at the right. same time. Like ambivalent in some way. Yeah. yeah. And there, I think that that's something that I'm really interested in. And I think it's something that's really hard to experience in a, in a theater. Well, that's because, what I was going to ask you. Right. Within the sort of presented thing, right? So like right. you presented Hotbox. Right. Do you think there's a way to create a structure that allows for that still like because in some ways when you're talking about this stuff i just see the idea of like a finished performance sometimes is a like sheen yeah you know and when you're talking about that mediated performer thing it's like a gloss right and so is there a way to have it be like a a product or a a Mm -hmm. thing and not have the sheen yeah but it's a kind of a sheen of not being of not sheen I mean, like it's, you know what I mean? Like it has to be like a constructed kind of. Right. You have to like be like, you have to do all of these. It's actually harder, I think. Really? To make something. um, Well, because yeah, if you're working and like you are too, when you're working Mm -hmm. with, with skilled collaborators, Mm -hmm. I think all of those people, everyone that you're working with could make a polished looking piece in the, probably with their eyes closed. Right. Like it it may be terrible. Yeah. But like they can make it look polished because people are trained and taught how to do that in right, school right. and everything. But it's actually harder to make something that if, um, doesn't have that, but also isn't just a cop out, isn't just a, isn't just right. messy because you just didn't feel like right. finishing it up or something. Right. And in some ways, actually, it's funny because I feel like that this duet has that tension for me in it. Right. Because we haven't had this super long time of right. making it. Yeah. And there's this like, ugh, it's uncomfortable. Right. Like, I guess I kept putting myself in situations, and like, that's what I'm doing or trying to do is put myself in situations that are right. uncomfortable. Sure. And I think that's one of the things I'm really sort of yeah. drawn to about you sure. is like, that you seem to seek that out yeah. as well. I'm really, I, it's the only thing I know that I, like, I have to be completely mortified. <laughs> So funny. I mean, it's really, yeah, it's like I have Who's to. Who's the masochist now? Yeah. <laughs> I, that would be me now. The tables have turned onto me. But no, it's really like the way that I make, like the way that we made this piece, like we spent two years on it, but we really made it. Like we built all of this stuff mm-hmm. and then kind of sat with it for months at a time and just mm-hmm. procrastinated and made and tried things and then I didn't and threw them out. And mm-hmm. then it was. Um, 
this uh, fiat that Alain Francaise right. invited me, gave me a commission to premiere the piece on this specific date, and it was much sooner than I ever imagined. And I was like, "Good, I'm just going to do it. I want to make. I want to. I want. I know. I want this tension of having to do it mm-hmm. well before I could ever finish it. But I know we're going to finish it. But it's going to be this thing of we're just going to be barely." getting there and it wasn't like we wanted it to be we didn't we didn't want it to feel messy but we wanted to feel this struggle to get to the things we knew we had to do right right and it's not pleasant right you know i don't get any of i don't ever have that thing that some artists talk about having like some kind of a ecstatic joy about what they're it's it's just torturous for me it's like you enjoy it no Never. No. I mean, there are moments sometimes in the making of it that I think it's fun. Mm-hmm. And I do I do it because I want to do it. And I'm doing it. But it's like it's more like an addiction, I think, than it is yeah. like a, a thing that I get pleasure from. You know what I mean? Like I have to. It's like, a, it's like I'm a junkie. Like compulsive. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just, I, I would be even more miserable if I wasn't. <laughs> You're staving off. It's a degree yeah. of misery. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, and I mean miserable in a kind of good way. I don't, I don't, I mean, I do it. I mean, if it was that toxic i would just have to quit yeah yeah i feel compelled to do it but i know that i definitely have envy for people who can be like satisfied and happy and doing something less stressful right i think it's interesting that you say that because that because you are so clearly don't want people to feel miserable in this process of what you're having them do you feel miserable and like you right. know, whatever the spectrum of that is, right. but yet you're so concerned right. about other people. Right. Well, that. I mean, it's one thing, like, it's, it's, it's one thing for me to choose to put myself into a situation mm-hmm. that's going to be hard for myself to do if I think it's going to be productive, mm-hmm. but I don't know, like, I, it feels wrong to me to force another person into that same situation unless they are signing up for it and like, yeah, I want to do that too. Mm-hmm. I also want to be miserable. You've been listening to Zoe Schofield and Brian Rogers on StanceCast. This episode was recorded at Studio Current in Seattle. Thank you to Vanessa DeWolf for generously providing that space. B.C. Campbell composed the music you heard. You can find his work at bccampbellmusic.com. StanceCast is now available for download through iTunes. You can search the iTunes store or any podcast app on your mobile device for StanceCast, all one word. StanceCast is a production of Velocity Dance Center and Stance, Journal of Choreographic Culture. I invite you to browse our archives at velocitydancecenter.org stance. Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at Stance Seattle. I'm Tyler P. Wardwell. Thanks for listening.